up guys casey and george with gold bracket racing youtube channel got a great show for you today been texting this guy since the gabr million trying to get him set up on skype and whatnot he finally set it up this morning it's all good but uh we got george here as always what's going on man man it's another day uh, a nice day here in texas i can't complain weather wise i wish there was some racing going on it's about 75 80 degrees out there with a little bit of wind but nothing major it's just uh nice old november day and uh no complaints over here definitely uh enjoyed my time over the weekend watching the gabr man i'm sure we're going to get into that several times throughout the show and what's going to be unique about today is we'll be able to get a, a take from gabr from the eyes of somebody who was behind the mic pretty much the whole time there you know so some we get a first-hand uh take from how that whole show went down which uh, if anybody watched it, I'm pretty sure everybody's have got a really good opinion about it in the first place. I don't know about you, Casey, but that went off without a hitch, seemingly, man. Um, so, um, definitely. man, I'll tell you what: between the between the OG million and between the Great American True Million Dollar to Win race, I have never seen two races run with issues with their issues but run so seamlessly man like they got these cars down the track quick it got to the point where you know you and i were trying to do this deal live from the eighth mile which if you haven't watched it go go watch it we started about i don't know fifth or sixth round both times and uh kind of do more of like calling the race almost like you would see an nfl football game something like that and giving you a little play-by-play -play and uh filling the gaps during downtime and stuff like that and kind of giving you an idea of what's going on but uh we didn't really have much time there, man. Those those shows are only two hours long, and that's between fifth round and, what, ninth round, something like that. So that, there's a lot to be said for the promoters getting this this show on the road, so to speak. Yeah, we'll get into this, too. I really did enjoy the ability to go live at, what, 4, 4.35 o'clock, something like that, whenever we actually came live. Instead of it being, you know, 10 in the night, you know, they had a really good a really good. Uh, smooth flow to the whole program to get that bad boy done soon so right um but without further ado you know how we do it here at the going bracket racing let's go ahead and cut it over to drag champ minute and uh see what's going on on the eyes of gary don hey guys gary don back again with another drag champ minute where we bring you what's hot and sports and drag racing so what everybody's talking about this week is a great American guaranteed million that went down in Montgomery, Alabama at Capital City Motorsports Park. The week kicked off on Wednesday with a 128-car dragster shootout where the winner and runner-up rode off with a brand-new dragster chassis. Casey Pesnow defeated Steve Sisko for the, for, with both taking home a dragster. Later that night, the 64-car no-split gambler's race was won by Lane Dickin over Tyler Bohan. But Bohan, and that wouldn't be the first final he was in for the weekend. A couple of days later on Saturday night, he pulled up in the final of the Great American Guaranteed Million final round against Champ McCroy. When the tree drops, Champ goes, let's go red, and Tyler Bohannon writes his name into the history books and collects the Guaranteed Million payday. Uh, I want to get a shout out to our boy Jake Hodge, a co-host on the Drag Champ Show, which is coming back in 2022 on a limited basis. Uh, Jake had a big day at the Million and the Anjay Brothers Dragster, did a great job driving all day and uh, cashed in a big payday for himself. So the weekend was finished off with an 80K and the 40K. So Thursday's 80K had to get finished on Sunday along with the 40K, Sunday's 40K. And the 80K final round, Luke Bagaki, the Supergas 2021 Supergas World Champ, who's had a phenomenal season, caps it off with a big $80,000 win over Carson Wheeler. In Sunday's 40K, Jeff Sarah, a name that we all know well that we talk about often, cashes in for 40K over Nasty Nick Hastings in the final. So at, at four cars, Jeff had two entries in and almost pulled off the double again like he did at the Summer Fling earlier this year where he ran himself in the final. Uh, just missed out where Nasty Nick dropped 15 total on him in the semis to send him, send him packing in one entry, but Nick turned it red in the final. Uh, to give Jeff another huge win this season. And speaking of Nasty Nick, this dude has done it all. Last week he rode wheelies, he turned on wind lights, he sprays slide and get behind, and then he bounced it off the wall in one of the finals in the no-box finals. Uh, he won both of the no-box finals, the Thursday 80K no-box final and the Sunday 40K. 
So Nasty Nick did it all and ended up parking it in the in the final round for another good payday, leaving off the bottom and showing just how talented he is. And that wraps up this week's Drag Champ Minute. For more news, info, and results, follow dragchamp.com or listen to Going Bracket Racing every week live at 5 p.m. right here on Facebook and YouTube. Back to you guys. <laughs> All right, guys, welcome back, welcome back. Uh, Gary Don, as always, over at the Drag Champ, thank you uh, for everything you do. Everybody, if you haven't done so already, uh, Bracket Racing fans, I know you probably have. Make sure to head over to Drag Champ, dragchamp.com, and uh, keep up with what's going on with that show. I hear there's uh, some, good, some good things going on uh, over on the Drag Champ side. I'm not going to divulge much information, but I know there's some good things in the pipeline uh, that I'm, probably, I'm pretty sure a lot of you guys already know about as well. But look on the screen. Uh, up in this area over here, we got Ryan Gleghorn on the show. Uh, Ryan, welcome to the show. Thanks for taking out time out of your day to join us, man. Absolutely, man. I'm glad to be on. Right on, man. So uh, we do something here at Going Bracket Racing YouTube channel every time we have somebody on. It's the first question every single time. I'm pretty sure the chat already knows what I'm going to ask you. But uh, how'd you get started into bracket racing, Ryan? Uh, so my grandpa started racing probably early seventies, uh, a little track is by our house in Texas called a uh, green Valley race city. Uh, he raced there from the early seventies until it closed in, I think it was 86, won seven track championships. He was really, uh, a lot better race car driver than me. Uh, he, uh, he was a bad dude. Uh, my uncle got involved. Uh, late 80s, early 90s at the Motorplex, and then uh, as what uh, what happens sometimes, you know, gets married, starts having kids, uh, so racing wasn't quite the priority, um, and then I've been at the racetrack since I was three months old, and I bet you I can count on my fingers and toes how many weekends I've missed since then. <laughs> uh, it's just, uh, it's always been something that I've been passionate about, uh, started running juniors when I was eight, uh, ran those until I turned 16, got in a big car, and still at it, you know, uh, started in 2002, so next year will be, uh, be 20 years since I started racing, which is crazy to think about, but. It is, man, that's, I'm in the same boat as you, I started in juniors and have been going since, uh, since I was 10 or 11 years old as well, so. It's funny, man. I was actually talking to a guy the other day and we had, you know, however, once in a while, the old guys like to run up on you and been like, I've been doing this 25 years. And we thought about it and we're like, well, we have too, actually. So, <laughs> you know, yep. but, uh, but anyway, man, we know, uh, we know you started traveling around to all these events and we hear you behind the mic a whole lot. And I just kind of want to know, you know, obviously we all started racing young but how'd you get involved with this whole announcing career? So um, we used to have a guy that announced the Motorplex. He was actually the NHRA Division Four announcer. His name is Lynn Nickerson. Lynn, fantastic guy. Uh, well, the juniors used to run a little bit earlier than the big car guys would. So when the juniors were done, I we used to have what we called the, the junior room at the bottom floor of the tower. Uh, it was actually the press suite that they leave the door unlocked to, and we kind of sneak in and watch a little racing. Well, from time to time, he'd let the junior kids announce a little bit. Uh, I mean, I'm not the only one. Uh, Chase Huffman, Max McLaughlin, uh, and I know there's more than that that would go up there and do it. So I was one of the kids that Lynn let start announcing. Uh, unfortunately, Lynn lost a, a tough bout with cancer. Uh, I think I was 16 when that happened, and I actually applied to be the announcer at the Motorplex then, and they told me no. So I, I pretty much thought at that point, yeah, you know, I'm just going to race and things like that. Uh, and it was, I, I haven't told this story a whole lot of times, but it was weird. I was sitting at home one day, I was 17, and uh, there was a Southwest Junior Dragster Series race at North Star Dragway, which is about 45 minutes from my house. And I don't know what everyone believes in or where you're at, uh, but something told me you should go try to announce this deal. I was like, okay. No, so I'd send uh, Nick Duty an email, him and Larry Cropper on the racetrack at the time. And he since we went back, he said, yeah, no, you can come announce, but 
I can't pay you anything. I was like, I didn't know you got paid to do this in the first place. <laughs> so I went and worked that deal. Uh, and by the time, by the time we were done with the weekend, uh, Nick paid me $40 and I had a job with the Southwest Junior Dragster Series. So worked for them for a little while. And then I actually ended up getting a job at the Motorplex and doing some more local big money stuff. Uh, ultimately got a, uh, people in the area probably knew me best for is my job at Ardmore Dragway, which I was uh, on and off with them from 2013 until this year. Uh, the Carroll family was all, it's always been great to me. Then I believe it was 2015. I went to the million for the first time. Uh, I was in college and one of my buddies was going and I knew he should have been on the road by then. Uh, so I call him. I'm like, hey, you know, how hard you made it? That stuff. He goes, man, I had a test today, and I'm leaving late, which if you know Thomas Marlowe, he's late to everything. Uh, <laughs> he's like, do you want to go? I'm like, man, I got class on Monday. I really don't know. He's like, bro, just come on. So I did, and we went and got the truck. We left at like 1 a.m., and we rolled through the gates of Montgomery as round one was going down the racetrack of the 20 grinder. <laughs> and throughout that day, I I talked to Jerry Pennington a handful of times. You know, I'd run a Southern Foot Break Challenge a couple times, and I was just gonna go up and say hi to Big Jed. So I walk in there, and uh, I walked in there at the perfect time because they just brought the food in. Yeah, I mean, I could if I even tried to plan it, I couldn't have done it any better. Uh, but I walked in he's like looked at he, you know I'm kind of talked to him he goes you announced right I'm like yeah he goes here's your microphone I'm getting me a biscuit <laughs> okay so I announced a little bit that day and then you know he's like hey no thanks well I uh, figured you know that's the rest of my day the next day is a million I'm definitely not going you know, to try to interfere with a million or anything like that well I'm walking around and uh, I hear over the PA Ryan Blakehorn we need you to the tower I'm like what did we do <laughs> I'm trying to think about everything we did the night before I'm like I don't think we did anything that bad <laughs> uh, so I get up there and Jed's like look I'm still in uh, I got no one to help uh, if you can announce until I'm done racing you'd be a lifesaver like, absolutely you, I get to announce the million really yeah, yeah no I'm in <laughs> Yeah, say less. So I called from, I think it was round two or three until I think he lost the round before the split. And uh, it kind of, from there on, uh, Jed helped me out a bunch. You know, he people would call him jobs that he may not could do or stuff like that. He'd send them my way. And finally that made it to a point in uh, 2018 that I was able to do it full time. And I haven't worked a day job since uh the fall of 18 so uh, I, it's, it's a dream to be even be able to have that be able to say that so right do you have a, uh, do you have a uh, favorite event you've announced by chance man uh, the original million obviously is a dream for all of us to even right. race especially win uh, that one will always hold a special place in our heart in my heart uh, and World Foot Brake Challenge, man. I love the World Foot Brake Challenge. Uh, just as a foot breaker, I mean, that's the pinnacle of foot brake racing. Right. And I really I really enjoy the uh, the Dream Team race that we do at Great American. There, it, it, It's a different atmosphere. And it kind of reminds me of, uh, I don't know if y'all run the bracket finals or anything out y'all's yeah. way. But mm -hmm. uh, growing up, bracket finals was a huge deal right. to all of us. And the team aspect was like, okay, so like, if so and so goes wins Super Pro and this guy wins Sportsman, you know, our we can win the track deal, and that's it's a lot similar the Dream Team deal does. So I like it. Those are that is three. That is pretty cool, man. And that's that is a uh, it's more of a Midwestern thing. Cause I'm originally from Southern Illinois, and I ran at Gateway a whole lot, like my entire yeah. life. I pretty much ran at Gateway, and that was always bracket finals was a big deal for us because. Bracket finals, we were very competitive at bracket finals. We had a lot of really good yep. racers in, right. in Southern Illinois area and Missouri area. 
And uh, yeah, I totally understand what you're saying. And speaking of the World Foot Brake Challenge, I guess uh, being a foot brake racer, you know, all the top bald guys consider, you know, if you're a class racer, obviously you want to win U.S. Nationals. Well, the OG Million is the U.S. Nationals for top bald guys. And I guess the World Foot Brake Challenge is effectively that for the bottom bald guys. Yeah, I think that's yeah, a good absolutely. analysis. Yeah. That, that's a good analysis. It's definitely spot on. Um, and, um, you know, definitely something I don't know if I'll ever be able to hit. I'm not really a bottom bubber. Can I do it? I can try. I probably do okay at it after a few passes down the track. Uh, but uh, <laughs> definitely, man. So, as I mentioned before we got on here, Ryan, we were going to look into the guaranteed, what I would call one of the largest races, uh, the biggest races of 2021. Uh, I don't know what rivals it at this point. Um, what impressed you the most about that race, the guaranteed uh, Great American Million? Um, was it the driver mentality? Was it the promoters? And I'm going to throw in uh, Brandon Mass from Mass Traction because that could be one of the highest, ex you know, the, you know, that track was on kill all every single day I watched. Didn't matter if it was day or night. I don't know how cold it actually was, but everybody was in hoodies, and I swear I saw people's breath. So it had to be some kind of cold to be able to see that. What do you think, man, was the highlight of that race for you out of those? I mean, you can break it down in a couple different aspects. Obviously, like you brought up Brandon. Uh, Brandon Mass one of the best track prep guys in the country, if not the best. Uh, he, I, I hate to even bring it up, but I've been going to Montgomery since 2015 and for the million. And every year, we know Montgomery at night you start dialing down because you can't hold no more. You know, we, you know, my buddy Corey Galetti lost a race car to it. Uh, mm -hmm. Tried to drive, drive too aggressive at Montgomery. That's just what happens. Uh, and I'll be the first one to admit when I saw Britt and Galen put this on the schedule in November, I'm like, ah, you know, <laughs> it's already pretty bad in October. <laughs> you know, no fault to the race, to the, to the racetrack because, you know, that the dew starts setting in and it's cold and, you know, it's not optimal for uh, a guy like me that likes to use the brake pedal. But, you know, Brandon Mass was discussed, and they ended up bringing him in, and I was really impressed with what Brandon did. That track was as best as I've ever seen it, uh, which Brandon does a great job. I get to work with him a couple times a year, and it seems like every time he impresses me a little bit more. Uh, from the promotion side of it, uh, I think we're really well prepared this year um, going through – a guaranteed our crew going through a guaranteed million last year we knew what to expect uh the majority of us have worked at montgomery before and ben wills and his staff uh have improved that place a ton um i thought our staff did a really good job obviously i liked our announce team because it's all my friends uh, right well and all the best too that was the dream team of announcers and in my opinion anyway I mean, that's what I said, too. You had, I mean, I got a couple people arguing on that, but I think that a group that we had, I don't think you can replicate that in any other promotion or any other type of racing. So uh, I, it felt like it went smooth. I mean, when you're in the middle of it, it all feels like chaos. But looking back at it, you know, it felt like it went fairly smooth. I, uh, I'm proud to be a part of that one. And because uh, who knows when we get to race for a million dollars again? I guarantee you. Right, exactly. So, being behind the uh, being behind the main screen in the tower, you legitimately see every single run that goes down the track. You're calling numbers. You're showing. You get you get everything from reaction time, sixty foot, three thirty, all the way down. You get to see if somebody dropped if they run forced. Well, I don't know if you were announcing the day where uh, I, this one just stands out in my mind. Jeff Sarah and Gary Williams were dialed the exact same thing. One runs 150-something, the other one runs 133 or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, so you get to see all this stuff. So the question I have for you is, are you noticing any changes year to year as far as, like, are drivers getting that much better? Are their packages getting that much better, like they're setting up to do that? Or is there still some value in, in just pulling into the lanes correctly and slaying some slop every once in a while? Um, I feel like the cars are getting tremendously bad. I mean, I just think back to when I started and I started big cars in the late 2009. And I mean, if you had a car that varied 300 throughout the day, you were doing pretty good. Uh, now, I mean, converter technology is so good. Carburetor technology is so good. 
the tires have come a long way. I think the cars have helped really show that, you know, guys that you thought weren't so good in the past, they weren't that bad. They still have good stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's still a lot of value in where you pull the stage lanes. Because you right. know, I mean, you don't know when someone's going to be 50 or be red or anything like that. I think of probably the biggest key to all this is pulling lanes. And a side note to that question, I guess, is, you know, like you said, the cars have gotten so much better and that kind of just stood out in my mind. Do you think that, because in, in the, you know, mid-2000s in that era, you know, I really don't think door cars versus dragsters was, I think the dragster did have quite a bit of an advantage, especially in marginal track conditions, things like that. Do you think with converter technology, shock technology, everybody figuring out that the carburetor is very important, uh, do you think a door car is at a disadvantage from a dragster anymore? Uh, I guess you could say like, maybe not necessarily a higher horsepower back half car, but like, like Ricky Jones's car. Do you think Ricky Jones's car is at a disadvantage to a dragster? Absolutely not. Uh, no, I mean, Ricky puts a lot of pride in his program and he had his car really good. You know, I sit there and I watch 330 times all day and it's fantastic. I mean, I got a Vega wagon not two miles from here. That's the best race car I've ever driven. Uh, mm -hmm. To make a story short, I went to the Labor Day 100K and then on Monday, I decided I hadn't got my teeth beat in enough, so I went to a little <laughs> track called Sand Mountain. Well, Sand mm -hmm. Mountain is about as wide as this couch I'm sitting on. And <laughs> it's, not, it's not straight, and the wagon moved about 6,000 to the 330 from the time I got there to the time I left. Wow. I mean, maybe. I feel like. Maybe, go ahead. I feel like door cars don't. Uh, if you've got the right stuff, you're going to be just competitive as the dragster guys for sure. And it's just like, uh, just like Jake kept telling me, he's, he said whenever he was on the show a few months ago, he said, Casey, I'm going to tell you, just send your stuff to competitive suspension over over the winter and you'll be good. That's what he kept saying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, you got it. I mean, I drove that car at the first Labor Day 100K and it was okay. I mean, it wasn't the greatest thing I've ever driven. Uh, we got Shane to make some shocks, and we swapped uh, all our stuff over to a Bruzy. And I don't know what Marco does in those, does in those converters, but it's magic. Because that is, <laughs> it went from being an okay car that I had to wheel pretty hard to I feel bad any time I get in it because if I lose, I know it's my fault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know how you feel on that one. Well, I wish I knew how you feel nowadays, but back in the day, I know how you feel when I had better stuff. <laughs> right. So, so, and and everybody knows me. I, I throw this word around with a little bit of, um, you know, kind of not paying attention to the past. But in your opinion, Ryan, man, there are a lot of good racers out here. There's a lot. Uh, yep. You can name a hundred of them if you want to, I think. And we, we would have a really good list of legends in the bracket racing world. Um, but what do you think is one race in your mind or is there a race in your mind that must be won to consider you the GOAT or amongst the GOATs of the bracket racing world? Um, if you're looking at the top bulb side, I feel like you've got to win one of the millions. Uh, any of the two or who knows, maybe three we're going to have next year. Uh, I feel like if you're a million-dollar race winner, that kind of sets you apart. And then on the bottom bulb side, uh, World Footbreak Challenge, like I said before. Uh, if you're a WFC winner, uh, anyone that's gone to Bristol and has gone through that race knows it's not a race that you just kind of aired your stuff out at. Hmm. Weather changes a bunch. The mountain can get you at any time, and uh, you win that when you're a bad dude. So I feel like if you win the million or if uh, you win off the bottom at Bristol, you're uh, you're definitely going to be in the conversation for I like the answer yeah. too, and I think along it goes a long way to even get to what we discussed before this call. Pass round number five at any of these races yeah. is man, it's going to be a beautiful day for the person who got past round number five. Uh, talk about that a little bit with me too, because it amongst all of these greats, 
to make yourself past round number five, you're really solidifying a spot uh, as a dominant bracket racer at that point at this level of racing. you agree or disagree? Yeah, I mean, you get into these million-dollar races or these megabut races, as we'll call them. Uh, you know, usually you get past fifth round. That's when the splits start happening and things of that nature. Uh, I mean, there's been multiple conversations I had, like, well, there's so-and-so. I'm like, well, who, you know, who's that? Well, he made split the million in 2004. I'm like, oh, dang, did he really? Like, it changed my opinion of that guy, knowing that he made it that fall in that race. Uh, so, yeah, you, you turn on that fifth-round wind light, it changes things, not only uh, financially, obviously. Uh, that's a big benefit, but uh, on a legend status, we'll call it. Absolutely. You, get, you start making the splits of these races, uh, your name changes. Definitely, man, and your bank account changes big time, too, a lot of the time. I mean, going from that fifth to sixth round. But, uh, man, uh, you know, while we're talking about money and all that type of stuff, we hear a lot about, uh, you know, this year versus last year, you know. And and you got to think about the fact that Motor Mania has been stepping up. We're televising more and more and more and more stuff, you know. So everybody says, oh, it's not like back in the day. Well, we have no comparison, really. It pretty much started when you basically started announcing in 2018. That's basically why that type of a job exists was because of places like Motor Mania and now we're on TV and stuff like that, you know. Um, But we hear a lot about the big money racing is dying off, like the car counts aren't what they were last year, you know, and there were different circumstances and things like that. But being actually at the track and being at more events than the average guy would go to, that isn't a touring racer doing it for a living. Were the car counts really that low this year, or was this just kind of the perception from being behind the TV screen? You know, is is that really how it was? I mean, are we comparing it to, you know, I think one of the races Kyle Riley had a couple years ago had like 700 cars or something like that. Well, yep. 700 cars is cars is nuts of course 400 cars is not going to look like a lot compared to 700 but 400 cars is still more than enough yeah i mean i'll answer the question best i can uh when i went to the first million i ever went to we had 600 plus cars in the 30 graders. well you got to remember those 30 graders are a whole lot cheaper to enter than the 50 graders we have now uh and it was done that way for a reason because well we had 600 cars and it was hard to finish. Right. Uh, it's it's a lot easier to finish 400 cars than it is to finish 600. Uh, so we, up, when you up the entry fee, less people are going to show up. Um, so I'm not going to say that there's less cars at this. Uh, last year was really odd circumstances. You know, we came fresh out of COVID and it seemed like everybody had massive car counts because they didn't know if we were going to get locked back up again. Uh, right. I was still at Ardmore Dragway. We had the first race out of COVID. For the first racetrack to open, we had two five rangers and we had 550 entries. <laughs> you know that single entered uh, between three classes. You know that it's crazy. I had I had people from 13 different states show up to Ardmore, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and you also got to think last year gas prices were a dollar thirty, dollar forty a gallon. Uh, right. I paid I paid three fifteen on the way to Montgomery. You know, that's going to keep people from coming. Uh, everything else is getting higher as well with those gas prices rising. So there's a lot of factors into it, but I don't feel like there's any less people going to these races. Montgomery was just as packed this weekend as I've ever seen it. Right. And speaking of that, um, because gas, in my opinion, gas and diesel is only going to go up. We know it's going to for the next couple of years. Uh, when you shut a pipeline down, that's what happens, bottom line. So, but uh, where do you think big money racing's heading in uh, in 2022? Do you think that it's going to slow down? Like, are the purses going to stop progressing? Because whenever Britt and Galen were on the show, they said, you know, for the foreseeable future, we're not doing another guaranteed million. But I don't know if that's necessarily because of the demand, because obviously it was packed out still this year. It, I think it's more kind of what Galen was saying. He's like, man, I got a lot. Galen does a lot. Galen's got a lot of jobs. Yeah. So he, he owns a Firestone. He works for Coke, and he does a ton of race promotion as well. And he just basically said, "Look, man, it's you know, it's 365 days a year just for this race, and I got a lot of other stuff I need to be doing." So, do you think big money racing is going to slow down in 2022? 
due to stuff like that? Or do you think the people who are going to attend those, do you think it doesn't affect them as much? Or I guess generally, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I hope it doesn't because then I don't have a job. Uh, <laughs> well, so I think what we're going to see is a lot of the megabucks racing of, you know, racing for more than a hundred thousand dollars and things of that nature, the, the 500 granders and guaranteed minutes, those are going to die off a little bit. Uh, there's not a whole lot of times a year people can afford to have five, six, seven, eight thousand dollar tabs. Uh, I mean, I know I could maybe pull that off once a year, but I do. Uh, so I think there's a lot of people in that same boat, you know, uh, I think you're going to see some of these promoters or promoters, promoters, <laughs> uh, that are middle of the road that maybe didn't have the best year this year. You might see them instead of having three races, maybe have one, uh, or some tie off. I think we're going to see a return of a lot of 10 granders and 20 granders. Uh, at least I hope so anyway. I mean, locally we went from running mainly 10 granders to now we run five seventy fives this year and they've worked out a little bit better. So I think we're going to see the value amount go down a little bit, but I still think there should be plenty of good racing in 2022. I like it. I like it. Yeah, and I, I think we've been forecasting that, too, here at the Going Bracket Racing YouTube channel. The return of the local track is what I would like to think is going to right. be relevant next year. And yeah. rightfully so, and I hope it booms. I mean, I want to see hundreds of cars compete for track championships at these local tracks. Yeah. Because when we do come back from a little bit of a lull in the in the system, kind of hit the, the bottom of the hill to get ready to go back up, Maybe we'll bring with us the, the new crop or some of the new crop to start competing in these big boys. Um, well, you know, and George, you know, kind of going off that Galat last year, they did before the spring fling. Uh, Ryan, I don't know if you were at the spring fling or not at a Galat, but uh, they did at Galat. They had uh, their local race. They called it a 21K blackjack race. And yeah. so it's 21 grand to win. Well, I noticed this year they're doing that race again, and they're also having a, a 20 grander also at a different time throughout the year. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. Whenever you have a very nice track like Galat uh, that can pack people in and is a, a world-class facility, you can have some of those 20 granders as a local race because your local racers, the one thing, my, my main drawback to big-time big money racing is having to get there, you know, like uh, – the money that I would spend in trying to get there is basically the same as the entry fee. Whereas Galat, you know, I live 25, 30 minutes from Galat. I can go there and come home at night. I don't need a motorhome. I don't need a hotel room. A normal guy can do stuff like that. So maybe, maybe this is the return of the local track. Right. Right. right yeah. So, you know, and like an Ardmore, I th I'm pretty sure you mentioned you were there at the, uh, the two five granders. Well, I just got the S10. Uh, to Texas. I live here in Sherman, Texas. I look out the window and yep. put my thumb up in the air and I can go to three tracks within an hour, you know? So I come over yep. on a Sunday to actually race at Ardmore at the race I think you're talking about. And uh, I noticed a lot of a lot of cars that pulled out at Sunday in Texas. A lot of people go to church, you know? So uh, nothing wrong with that, of course, but I have me a good old front yep. parking spot and I enjoyed Ardmore. I've said that a thousand times, but um, so my next question to you, I know that you are a bit of a statistician. I mean, you keep stats. I like that. Have you ever thought <laughs> yeah. about maybe even opening up like a web page with like a Hall of Fame or something like that or all-time wins? Because I think that has a little bit of bearing. Like, let's put let's put some of these plaques in 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 the virtual world so that they never get forgotten. If you know what I mean. You ever thought about doing that? Um, a little bit. So, if you go through the notes section on my phone. Uh, you'll find I think I'm the only one that has every million final in my notes section. That includes, obviously, the Folk million, Guaranteed million, Spring Clean million, SFG, uh, and the Millennium million that a lot of people like to forget about. Uh, I've got that. Uh, I've got every female winner over 50K. Uh, I've got people that have won races from each promotion that's put on a million dollar race. Uh, I've got, I'm such a freaking racing nerd. It's stupid. Uh, but no, I think total wins would be kind of hard to find just, uh, 
a lot of stuff wasn't documented in the early days of big money racing, uh, which, I mean, when I was doing my million hunt, there was a lot of phone calls I had to make. Be like, hey, do you remember who LaBoose trained in that final? And people like, man, I remember as an angler, but I can't remember that guy's name. And it took, I mean, it probably <laughs> took me months to figure out who that guy was. Uh, but that'd be kind of cool. Uh, I know I'm not the only one that's like this. Oscar Williams is pretty nerdy as well. I mean, him will go back and forth. Uh, before Cycle passed away, me and Cycle would go back and forth. Uh, so that'd be kind of cool if you could, if I could find a group of people that uh, could get more of these numbers together. And uh, from the bracket racing side, uh, from the NHRA side, they have all that. Like right. sitting there, Bob Bob Fry come up with that deal years ago, right. uh, and I can only imagine what that that network that database is going to sell for one day. But uh, no, it'd be pretty cool to have us a website. I know I'd be on it probably every day. Definitely, man. I mean, it would it would be super cool. And, you know, growing up around Gateway and everything, the guy we were around all the time, Brett Kettner, the the oh yeah. the walking encyclopedia of all things that are drag racing. So if you ever need if you ever can't find anything, that guy probably knows and he'll remember the colors of the car and what it looked like and could draw you a picture of it and tell you exactly when it went down the track at what time of day. You know, it's it's nuts. But I was telling George, actually, I said, you know, I said we need to ask Ryan that because for our own for our own benefit for our own selfish benefit because I was like we could Ryan could potentially be the Brett Kepner of bracket racing that's that's possible still you're still young you could do it yeah buddy yeah yeah no uh, Brett has a lot of hours yes stats and history and gosh I he's probably forgot more than I know uh, <laughs> but. Uh, on the bracket racing side, it's like we, no one ever thought to uh, record all this. They're like, "Here's your check." Right. It's like we didn't know, we didn't know we're in the middle of uh, like the five day stuff. We didn't know how great that was going to be years right. from now. Uh, so I'm still working on a full list of five day winners currently. Uh, so if you can help with if you were watching, I know there's like probably fourteen and a half people watching, but if you can <laughs> help with that. That'd be greatly appreciated. I'm trying to find all the finalists for all the five days. Well, we reached 100,000 people last month, so maybe uh, awesome. maybe one of them will hit you up. <laughs> but uh, no, man, what, uh, what do you have on the books for 2022, or have you figured that out yet? Are you still going to be traveling around announcing? Do you have any plans for specific races, like you're going to run the World Foot Rate Challenge? Uh, what do you plan on doing? Are you doing a little bit of both? Are you doing more, more announcing? What are you planning on? Yeah, so I, I mean, I race a handful of times these days. It's not like whenever, before I was doing this for a living. Uh, the way it, I, we kind of talked about the truth about guys racing for a living, but uh, you know, for me, anytime I'm on the racetrack, I'm not making money for the mm -hmm. most part. Uh, so uh, yeah, you know, I'll still do uh, all the Great American races. Uh, we have at least three of them. I'll do both of Jed and Steve's races in Bristol. Uh, I'm assuming I'll still be on for the uh, Mickey Thompson Million. Uh, Count up. I had like 13 races already booked for next year, and more rolling in. I'll go to uh, Beacon Dragway twice next year. They got a couple of races that I help with. Um, uh, Chad Axford, Flatbill Promotions. Uh, I've been announcer slash kind of race director for him for two years now. Uh, Tyler Cross at VMP is going to have his Triple Threat Series back. I'll be back for those. A uh, lot of racing that I'm going to get to uh, be a part of 2022. On top of, uh, you know, I put on two practice tree races in the winter, and I put on a streetcar bracket race also. So uh, we're going to be pretty wide open in 2022 again, it looks like. Good, good. So my next question is, uh, it's interesting, uh, you know, for you because – I believe you coined the phrase King of Drop City and uh, definitely would like your take and see if you could explain to me how, number one, you don't have to, if you don't want to give away your secret, but how you spray half the track to kill 15 to 20 mile an hour and still go dead on. Um, I call it balls of steel. Um, sorry if that's not allowed for me to say that, Facebook. Don't, don't ban me now, but... But um, how do you go about doing that, man? <laughs> um, so did either of y'all play football when y'all were growing up? 
Yeah. What did the? I don't know about y'all's coach, my, but my coach always told me you play till the whistle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, my grandpa was always a very aggressive finish line driver. Uh, when I was taught to drive, I was holding, you know, it started at four hundredths and it went to six and it went to a tenth and then. You know, next thing you know, we just threw all the weight away in the junior, and I'm dialed up. I'm going seven seven. Fastest I'm dialed seven nine. Uh, so I followed up one junior dragster, and that day he's like, "Well, you found it." I said, "What are you talking about?" I found. He's like, "You found the edge of where how far you can go." And ever since then, we kind of ride that edge. Uh, you know, first off, if you're going to kill that much, you've got to be late, which I'm late a lot. <laughs> uh, I don't know what's happened to me in my adulthood, but I cannot. There's like, it'll happen once a weekend at Bristol, and I'll just, I'll swap feet. I'm like, well, that wasn't it. You know? <laughs> uh, and Hodges' car, it's, you grab the nitrous button, and it makes a move. Uh, like. Is the hook and hillbilly one of those, one of those cars that makes like 600 horse, and then he sprays it another 500 type thing? <laughs> 400 but yeah uh, <laughs> it, like that run that people talk about against Corey uh, I looked at I watched the two pair in front of us they were both double under I'm like okay well I, I got a chance because I know Corey dials pretty honest uh, I hit the gas and I'm like well that's not it and as soon as it was a high <laughs> I grabbed it and I just kind of had an idea of where I had to stop at, and it just so happened that Corey turned his head whenever I got to that spot. <laughs> uh, but no, I did it. I did it to him. I'm like, well, that'll never work again. And then I ran Jonathan Martin at the 100K, and I did it again. And I was like, man, you know, I, you know, if I was a lot better up front, I wouldn't be put in this situation. <laughs> but you know, it it happened to me at the 250K as well. First, Gage first did it to me. So. It all goes around, but no, uh, I don't live with a lot of fear in my heart. Uh, there's a lot of these guys that drive race cars like heaven isn't going to be great. Uh, <laughs> like, it don't matter to me. Uh, we got on track in, we got Larice Motorsports on track insurance on the wagon. And if something was to happen, it's going to be fine. Like, yeah. it's not going to matter much either way. Uh, I will try to keep out of someone else's lane the best I can. Because obviously I don't want to hurt nobody else, but uh, my goal is no matter if I'm perfect or I'm a hundred, is try to turn wind light on. Makes Definitely, sense. man. Makes that's sense. the number one goal right there, and that's uh, and what is what is it that Ryan Gleghorn always says whenever uh, whenever somebody does do that, and then someone just flies way under? Oh, hide the sharp objects. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it, oh, it's it can get ugly. Uh, no. Uh, the uh, first time I went to Bristol, I was driving uh, Seth Lancaster's S10, uh, which is now J.J. Pennington's S10, as we've come full circle. Uh, and then I did a lot of people still ask me about it. Say I did the run ride, and now it's the run. Well, I'm like 50, and my guy's 19. I stopped feeling 600s. I was like, put it dead on. I'm like, that shouldn't work. Well, it seems like every time I've gone to Bristol since then, I've had at least one run like that throughout the weekend. So, just uh, <laughs> thank Grandpa for teaching me to be aggressive. I guess. Definitely, yeah. I mean that's that's the only way you can win these races anymore, in my opinion, because it's almost like I feel like the goal is right now to hold more than the other guy. And you, like, do you think that by any chance? Because I mean, but you got to know what you're doing still. That's the thing is that I think there's a lot of people that are holding way too much and way more than they think. And number one, in my opinion, if you're running Jeff Sarah in 2021, your best bet is to roll all of the numbers out of the box to try to be perfect on the tree and dial what you think and don't even look at them because you're not going to outdrive Jeff Sarah at the finish line. It's just not going to happen. No, him and Hastings. Hastings has ruined my life every time I run. Because you fall into the game, uh, I've actually found that people are holding less than they were, you know, ten years ago. Yep. But that kind of circles back to, you know, the cars are better. Yep. You know, we don't right. have to hold that much anymore. But and uh, maybe they weren't necessarily holding. Maybe they just had no idea what they could run. Yeah, but no, if you're running Jeff, like Jeff, typically, uh, it's no secret. I mean, he's holding anywhere from five to seven. Right. And sometimes more than that, if you woke up in a bad mood. Uh, <laughs> and then Hastings, 
pacing to change your game plan up on you, you think you've about figured them out, and then everything changes. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I've I've run him a handful of times. He showed me something different every time. Uh, but you know, I consider Nick the best in the game right now. Well, that's that was actually a question I was going to ask. Is do you think that Nick Hastings? Because I think I think Nick Hastings doesn't get the respect he deserves, even though he gets a lot of respect. You know, don't get me wrong, but because he's a foot brake racer, I don't think he gets the respect he deserves, and I think he flies under the radar a whole lot. And he's just winning races that it seems like. I mean, they're still big, but it just seems like people aren't paying attention to it as much. Like Nick Hastings has had, what, four or five years in a row of what Jeff Sarah has had right now. But everybody, you know, Jeff Sarah is the big, big time, big deal. And he should be, don't get me wrong, you know. But yeah, people don't talk about Nick, Nick Hastings whenever he's consistently doing that. You know, the last people to consistently win that much, the Williams brothers, pretty much. Yeah. No, I mean, Nick is, Nick's unreal uh, watching it from, both on track and off track, he he does things in a race car that I didn't know were possible. He hits the tree uh, way better than I've ever seen one hit the bottom before. I've seen people go on runs, hit the bottom, or even hit the top like he does. But it's like every every time you roll up there, you know it's going to be a bloodbath. Uh, right. You've got to run him. Uh, and he's so creative down track. Like I said, you know, I've sat there and watched him rip people up all day. I'm like, okay, well... I know how to beat him, and then like he rolls up on the side of you and does something completely different. Right. He's very crafty. Uh, he's one of those guys, like I said earlier, like he doesn't he plays to the whistle. It doesn't matter what he's in. Uh, you know, he had that deal this weekend where he tagged the wall. Right. Comes back the next round, he tries to take out the Christmas tree. He sprays it the length of the racetrack, still turn the wind light on. You know, he's which you know he has to. He's doing this for a living. You know, that wind light means a lot. We're getting into a situation, though, and I'm going to bring it up, and I probably shouldn't. Um, just everywhere you look, everywhere you look, there is a lot of controversy slash thought process around the thought of excessive braking and what's going to be done about excessive braking. How can we make it more safe? I, I would ask you, Ryan, your thoughts on this. I'm sure I already know them, right? Um, and yeah. I, I don't drive that way. I, I can't really put myself in a position to say, man, I've killed, you know, I've carried five numbers down the race. I've carried six, you know, numbers down the racetrack and got rid of every one of them to drop it dead on. But what is causing, and, and I know, I don't know what happened with Hastings. I don't know if this was a car, car failure or I hit the brakes too hard at the finish line. I don't know what it was. I'm not going to sit here and act like I do, but do you think that, the, the viewers of Motor Mania of our sport right now are starting to see all these guys carry number and try to mimic that, which is causing a little bit more danger? Uh, or do you think it's just, hey, man, you lock them up like this, you're bound to wad one up? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, you drive, you got, if you were to tell a normal person, hey, I want you to go get your daily driver, once you go 110 mile an hour, then I want you to lock the brakes up hard you can. They're going to look at you like, you want me to do what? Right. Yeah, to the to the average guy, it's insane, right? Uh, and to us, it's part of the game. Uh, so you can look at it one of two ways. Uh, obviously, I drive more aggressive, but there is a safe way to do it without, you know, smoking the front tires every lap. Uh, like on our car, we've got uh, motor brakes on it, and I don't think I can make them slide. I've tried my damnest, and it, it stops pretty straight, and the tires still moving. Uh, Nick, typically, he's not a guy that locks them up. Uh, you know, tires are still moving when, even when he's stopping. You know, uh, that deal. I think that was more of a. Uh, I think the caliper track. locked. I really think if you look I, I at the a little bit too. if you look at drag story and you look at the incrementals, he only killed three mile an hour right there. That's why I feel like the right caliper stuck because if you hit the brakes real hard. That'll happen sometimes. And but on Nick Hastings' car, you know? nobody knows. Nobody knows more what it feels like to run six ten versus six oh six than Nick Hastings or six oh four, whatever yeah. he's done. You know. Uh, and you got to remember on that run, there's a lot of things in play. He's running Dan Fletcher. This is the fifth time throughout the weekend that they had a range <laughs> I mean, and Dan, like 
we all know what the game plan is for Dan. He's going to stop. That's what right. Dan does. Um, and he did go dead on, by the way. He 13 did. pack dead on. He was 13 total. So he's so he's out there riding on side of Dan, waiting for the stop, waiting for the stop, waiting for the stop, and the stop comes late. Mm-hmm. You know, is there a case that he might have grabbed a little bit extra brake pedal? Maybe. Uh, that'd be why the mile per hour wasn't down as much as we think it would be. Yep. Uh could be a case, or were we a little bit closer to the inside of the racetrack than we were before, and it got a little loose? I mean, that thing's only like 85 inches long. Right, so, right. You know, and that's, uh, I was just going to say, that's another thing that that I like about Nick Hastings is he's proven to everybody that in a relatively inexpensive race car that he doesn't trade in every single year and get something. Because we know if Nick Hastings wanted to, he could drive anybody's car there is. If Nick Hastings called me again and said, Casey, I want to take your blue Nova and I want you to put this motor in it, put me a brand new 540 together, I'd be taking loans out because I know Nick Hastings is going to pay me back next week. True. You know what I'm like? True but, but the point is, is he's still doing it in a, in a way that shows that this is why bracket racing was invented because you don't need all this high-end stuff. You need to know what it feels like when you're going 610, or where, when you're dialed 610, but you're going 604, and Nick Hastings knows that. Yeah, and he's probably doing it, he probably has the greatest profit margin out of everybody, because he's not rolling around in a toter and stack or things like that. The dude's got a four-dually do, four and a enclosed trailer, two-car enclosed trailer. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's doing it, uh, I'm not saying you know, enclosed trailer, the two cars are cheap, but you know, he didn't got like a brand new TNE or Performax. You know, it's it's an older trailer. He's got an older dually. It's probably a 0304 F350. Mm-hmm. He don't have a whole lot of expense into it outside of diesel. I know everything's paid for. Uh, I I like the way Nick rolls around. I like that mentality. You know, he's not getting hotels. He's got him a little bed set up in the front of the trailer and things like that. Uh, he's he's probably got the best profit margin out of everybody, and he's. No, he's proven, like you said, you know, the T1000 is probably, I'm, I hate how much race cars cost, but if, <laughs> if it wasn't, if it wasn't that car, you know, no one's going to get more than fifteen, eighteen thousand dollars $18,000 for this thing. Correct. Uh, same thing goes for his Mustang. Uh, but I bet you that thing's won more money than just about any other race car consistently over the past five years. Correct. Yeah. Uh, so. Correct. You definitely could buy a lot of houses, that's for sure, man. And uh, I tell me if this story is true because I heard it from Fast and Fetch, so you know how it goes. But yep. I heard a story one time where I don't know if Nick had a motorhome at one point or if he has it now or whatever the case may be, but I heard that Nick one time decided he wasn't doing very good and the motorhome was the problem, so he slept in the trailer and he was washing himself with baby wipes in the morning because the motorhome was the reason that his luck turned around. Is that true? I haven't heard that story straight from Nick yet. Uh, I've heard Finch <laughs> tell it. Uh, and sometimes you gotta just you gotta sh- you gotta shake stuff up. Uh, things that yeah. I t- I went on a rant. I was messing around with uh, Ezel this morning, or not this morning, but throughout the weekend. I'm like, man, you got soft on me. Like, what do you mean? I'm like, man, back in the day, you know, you had the three-quarter ton pickup with a 30-foot enclosed, the two dragsters in it, no pit vehicle. Now, and we're parked out in the mud. Here, he won the mill. Uh, now you're parked on the front row. You got a toter and a stack. You know, he's got kids now. I get it. You know, we can't roll around with what we have with two kids anymore. I get it. We have access to it. I said, but you got soft on your staging first. Like, <laughs> yeah, no. It. Uh, sometimes you got to get back to basics to get a uh, Get back to where you need to be. Hey, and he's another one of those guys too that uh, wasn't the, isn't the car that he did the converter changing contest. Was that the brown car originally? Uh, no. So the blue the car he did the convert contest in is the hardtail car he's had forever. That's that's okay. the blue car. Uh, the nicer looking four link car that's kind of teal yeah. looking. Right. That's the old brown car. We just okay. had a facelift. Job. You know, a couple of years back. Yeah. Yeah, because he's another one of those guys, though, that that, you know, which, like you said, I mean, you got kids, you got it. You can't slum it around anymore. You know what I mean? But uh, but the thing is, is Johnny does it right a lot of times too. builds his own stuff, doesn't really have anything special. I think that that car even had a long tail shaft on it still. I mean, it's, you know, he, he races within 
if he didn't win money this year, it's not really going to affect his program because he builds all his own stuff too. He doesn't really pay for anything super high end, you know? Yeah, no, uh, Johnny's always been pretty modest on what he does, which that comes back from, I know the Ezel family pretty well, you know, his dad wasn't that way. And, you know, so he's always kind of kept within his means there, uh, which a lot of people don't know this. He actually has an engineering degree that he's never used. Uh, really? Yeah. No, he started building. It makes cars. sense. He, it does. Yeah, no. No, he's he's pretty sharp, though. I'll never tell him that to his face, but he's a pretty <laughs> sharp guy. Uh, <laughs> he just heard you. <laughs> uh, but no, he, uh, like I said, no, he builds his own cars, paints his own cars, wires them, plums them. Uh, about the only thing he doesn't do is build the motors, you know. So he uh, he does a lot of himself. That definitely keeps costs down for sure. Definitely. Yeah, man. So uh, I mean, at this point, we've kept you for an hour. You got anybody you want to thank before you get off here? I mean, obviously, you know, thanks to everybody that employs me uh, <laughs> for all the promotions that helped me out this year, uh, whether that be Britton Galen or. The Folk family, uh, Jared and Steve Stites with the Footbreak Challenge, uh, Tyler Crossno, Chad Axford, Kevin Westmoreland with Paducah, uh, the Carroll family, uh, Cody Polich, and I'm sure I'm going to miss somebody. I, I worked for uh, Motor Mile for one weekend. Uh, I had a lot of had a lot of racing going on this year. Thanks to all of them, uh, everyone that helps out with the uh, Hodges program that indirectly helps me in our car. Uh, you know, like I said, Shane Swagger, competitive suspension earlier, Marco Abruzzi, Mickey Thompson, 50-50 race cars. Uh, I could go on and on with everybody that helps us, the Don Jay family. Uh, so it's uh, it's been uh, – I've got to live a pretty fun life thus far, and I'm still pretty early into it. So excited to kind of see where, uh, where things progress. Oh, man. Well, we certainly can't thank you enough for stopping in on the Going Bracket Racing YouTube channel. I have a feeling I want to try and get you and Jake in here at the same time, if y'all can keep it rated PG-13-ish uh, for the Going Bracket Racing Ooh, YouTube channel. <laughs> I thought about I, putting up a parental pretty, discretion sign, you know, when I do it. Yeah. Yeah, no. Uh, Low-key, I'm really proud of myself. I haven't cursed once since we started this thing. You sure haven't. Uh, <laughs> if you, I, I was if over here you waiting to listen to a Drag Champ episode, yeah, no, I... Or if you know me personally, if I get rolling, you get me fired up. It gets bad, but uh, and I apologize <laughs> to people for that. But uh, no, it, it's been a fun time. Uh, don't not really used to people asking me the questions, so it's been a uh, it's fun to be on the other side of it. Definitely, man. We'll definitely have y'all on in uh, in the wintertime or something when none of us have anything going on. We'll get on here and just mess around on a Tuesday or we might even move it to Fridays in the wintertime because then we can get more people involved and the chat's always fun. We get stuff going over there and I'm sure with you and Jake, who knows what we'll have in the chat over there. But we also want to thank TSR Racing Products, obviously coming on board with us for 2022. Champs Performance, same deal, man. Congratulations, Champ, man. Congratulations to Champ to uh, to get the runner-up down there, man. I mean, that was that was awesome. We were rooting for you. Uh, rooting for Hodge, too, man. man. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, that was yeah definitely, no, I, you got it. Yeah, no, I was uh, – I was definitely rooting for my boy rolling through there. Uh, I thought we had a chance, but, you know, got a great payday in it. So it's cool. And, I mean, what a year, you know, last two months champs had. Yeah. Getting 100 grand or getting, getting down to four of the original million. I runnered up this one. Uh, him and uh, Okie Dokie made quite a bit of money the last couple of weeks. So good for champ. I told uh, – I did tell everybody. You probably heard it on the live from the 8th Mile episode. I said, man – if Jake wins this deal, Ryan's probably going to call me and be like, can I just ski on next week or something? <laughs> uh, if Hodge would have turned on that final win light, uh, JJ would have had it announced by himself on Sunday. Uh, <laughs> I was fully prepared for a celebration, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> probably for the better, for the, for the best off that we didn't get it. But uh, no, uh, still, still proud of my butt. Hey man, it didn't it ain't bad to be third best out of that crew that was all there, I can tell you that. That ain't no joke at all. So Yeah man. Uh, as always, guys, thanks for tuning in. Uh, coming up on Christmas time, so I'm gonna drop down to Golden Bracket Racing gift shop 
Uh, these dorm bracket racing shirts, of course, you know me. I'm a door trucks rule type of guy. And, uh, you know, but you can catch him on Speed Shark if you want to head over to make a good Christmas gift. But uh, for now, I know uh, we may have a little bit of scheduling conflict for next week with it being so close to Thanksgiving. I know Casey's got a lot of work to do. I've got a lot of work to do myself. Not sure when my old man's going to pull in and help me do some things on the OS down there. So, but, but for now, we'll see you guys next Tuesday. Thanks for tuning in.